Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm your host of the evening, Emma Platt, and joining me is Mr. Matt Latham. Hello. And Paul Fields. Evening, guys. And this week we are discussing 80s comedies, so let's jump in and pick a flick. Airplane, which was titled Flying High in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Japan and the Philippines, is a 1980 American parody film directed and written by David Zucker. The film is a parody of the disaster genre, particularly the 1957 paramount film Zero Hour, from which it borrows the plot and central characters, as well as many elements from Airport 1975. This film is known for its use of surreal humour and its fast-paced slapstick comedy, including visual and verbal puns and gags. Airplane was a, crit- a critical and financial success, grossing over 83 million in North America alone, against a budget of just 3.5 million. The film's creators received the Writers Guild of America Awards for Best Adapted Comedy and nominations for the Golden Globe Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and the Bachelor Award for Best Screenplay. In the years since its release, Airplane's reputation has grown substantially. The film was ranked sixth on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies, and in 2007 survey by Channel 4 in the United Kingdom, it was judged the second greatest comedy film of all time after Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. Can I get you something? Some more for butter laying into the bone, take me up. Take me. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Cuddy say can't hang. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Don't get the hell. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in 
So some high praise there for um, Airplane. What did we think? I love it. I can't remember the first time I watched it. It was years and years and years ago. But my favourite genre of the film, of film is the spoof genre. So, and I've spoken about the Naked Gun... No, no, it's not. Police Squad on this podcast before. And it this is like the genesis of that genre. And it does it really well. And I still find it very, very funny. But it did... In, <laughs> it did spawn an awful lot of absolute garbage that we have to put up with now today though yeah and it does but i think what uh this film well what this film does i think it shows how the genre works whether the modern day films don't so you've got your whatever movie um anything past scary movie 2 is pretty awful but they they kind of shoehorn in the plot to fit the jokes whereas this is the other way around it, it's very natural in how the jokes kind of support the plot being made and any references or any non-sequitas don't hijack the plot whereas the genre nowadays will just it will actually pause suddenly try and introduce Willy Wonka out of nowhere because the plot and then the plot dovetails and then Willy Wonka's in nine year old I think I kind of nearly kill myself watching Epic Movie I was going to say, out of interest, have you seen any of the films that were mentioned in the intro, the, the kind of, especially the airport franchise? Um, I actually, I haven't. So it's what's quite interesting is that I've not seen any of the the films that it's actually based on. Mm-hmm. So they I, were all I terrible. They're all exactly <laughs> the same. They're all, you know, it was just a there's, a there's a jumbo jet and then a crisis would befall it, and they were, they, you know, the, the effects were terrible and. You know, airplane actually—it looks like those films. It really does, and they just rolled them out every two years. It was—I I remember seeing Airport 75, 77, 79. <laughs> I think might have been about the Concorde. <laughs> it was—they were awful, but people went to see them, and um, an, an airplane was definitely born out of those films. So in a way that the, the ones that we get nowadays are born out of films, this did have the same kind of, as you say, the, it, you know, it, its starting point was other films it was lampooning. But isn't it more a case of having a specific genre and specific tropes that it knows how to build an original story around and, and then refer to rather than having like so many different what's popular at the time? So what, so 1980, what was... Like if you've got a load of different genre films in 1980, which I can't remember off the top of my head, if you took the today's model, you'd have all these different, just anything that would have been the top five for that year on IMDb if it was around in 1980, just shoehorned in together, which is what happened with, I don't know, Meet the Spartans and Epic Movie and I really don't remind myself of those films. But um, whereas, <laughs> whereas stuff like um, the original naked gun film or even the first hot shots film they took a very strong central narrative and then built around it rather than trying shoehorn in as much of what is popular at that time yeah even... there's, there's less pop there, there aren't really many pop culture references in this that i can that stand out but maybe if you watched it back then there would be a few uh, i know when when you've got people like the um what they called you know the religious guys who give you flowers and stuff they were they were everywhere back in the 70s and 80s <laughs> you don't see them so much now i think it might be that well 
it doesn't date. Then, so I don't think the references are that specific. No, specific. it doesn't. You're right. This does. I mean, it does hold up. Yeah. Whereas, again, bringing up epic movie, which I'm really, really sorry for bringing up that film because <laughs> it is really bloody awful. It is terrible. Um, you've got specific, again specific. You've got Willy Wonka. You've got Chronicles of Narnia, which are very specific named references. Whereas, again. With their plane, you've got these tropes and usual stock characters, stock situations, all coming together in a more natural way. Yep, absolutely. I think, I mean, I watched it for the first time. Um, I watched it for the first time, I think it was late last year. And I think because that was the first time I'd seen it, it just seemed really dated to me. And because I'd like heard so much about how funny it was and, you know, it was one of the greatest comedies of all time, I think... I had my expectations set too high. I think that kind of happens with some films. I think I know that I've seen a couple of comedies, which my mind's gone blank, where people are saying, oh, it's hilarious, and it just passes me by. I mean, to this day, I I didn't like... Well, not like, I just didn't find Blazing Saddles funny when I saw it. And that was about five or six years ago. The thing about comedy, though, it's so subjective. I won't hang anyone out to dry for liking, you know, you like what, if it I've got this thing about comedy, if it makes me laugh, that's it. That's all I need, really. Anything other than that's a bonus. But I find with Airplane, if you're pissed, it is very funny. And the more drunk you are, the funnier it gets. <laughs> Emma, did you watch it sober? I did, I did watch it too, so maybe that was the problem. Maybe I should just get really, really I just think it gives you the giggles, and then once once you start... I think it's more my kind of comedy in general, so, I mean, I, I've never seen it drunk. I might have to try it one day, but uh, I've never seen it drunk, and I I still find it funny. But then that, that might be my kind of humour. This is this is my style of... I just, I just love films like this. Well, they throw so like. many jokes at you. It is relentless... Uh, and in a way, I mean, they they can't. I mean, if you, and when you're firing that many jokes, it's it's hard to fail. You're going to get laughs. Yeah, but I think that the I think what happens with the this film anyway is that quite a lot of them hit. Quite a lot of them are actually quite funny, uh, and I think the probably the first time some of them are actually used. I think quite a lot of them you see them repeated in terms of especially the non sequiturs and the slight gags you. I think this is like one of the first few time, one of the first films to really encourage that. I mean, there's the extended sequence with all the pilots' names being all, all basically. I, I love that code. scene so much. That's oh, that, where yeah, where all the, the pilots' names are all um, over under over there. Yeah, Roger. D- yeah, <laughs> Roger over under. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got the then you've got like the out of nowhere turning things on the head where you've got the black passengers who speak jive and then it's suddenly this old elderly white woman who just starts speaking come in some slack jack that's was that the first now. was that the first like on-screen rapping granny quite possibly yeah because the, i i am a sucker for even now you know when an old lady swears or you know that is the phrase isn't it the, the rapping granny the, it, it's an all-encompassing phrase for any elderly person doing something amusing on screen yeah. unfortunately i think it was beaten by i can't remember the actress's name but that bit from the wedding singer Cause I love, oh, I love that film. <laughs> I, I love that film in general. But yeah, there's yeah. that um, old elderly lady who starts doing the start of Rapper's Delight, which I think is well. I mean, it is like it is quite slapstick, and I I quite enjoy like slapstick comedies. But 
I enjoy like um like one of my favorite comedies of all time is Ace Ventura Two and Nature Calls and like Jim Carrey's early stuff. But I showed Dumb and Dumber to someone who'd never seen it before until last year, and they didn't think it was remotely funny. And I think it's hilarious. And I think you know Tony regards that as one of the best comedies of the nineties. It, I think it, I agree with them. I think it's so. I think it's hilarious. Like Jim Carrey, and we saw about ninety-seven. Was he was? I don't know what happened to him. But the Truman Show broke his sense of humor. I think. Yeah, I mean, then he, I know he made like a Tales from Chandler's Spotless Mind, which is one of my favorite films ever. But he's lost that comedy spark, I think. But he was like really, really funny. But then. One of the I used to love him. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever seen this. It's a Charlie Sheen film called Major League. Yeah, I've seen it. I've never um, heard of it now. I must have watched that about seven hundred times when I was little, and I think if I watched it now, I'd be like, "What is this crap?" But I think certain films, they tend, especially if you've seen them when you were younger, and I'm really guilty of this, hold like a special place in your heart, and you'll never think they're anything other than amazing. Like even like Masters of the Universe. <laughs> and and the and the Super Mario Brothers film, I I that still got this really special place in my heart, and I won't hear a, a bad thing about it. And Mortal Kombat, both of them, I still watch both of them. Well, Bec- I, going back to Airplane, I saw this. I had to check if I had seen it because I, I I'm sure I remember seeing it at the cinema, but I I thought I'd better check the certificate to make sure I wasn't going mad. Do you know what certificate this is? Fifteen, Matt. Um, I'm going to guess 15 as well. Okay, well, it, originally it was an A, which, mean, which meant back in the day when I was young, um, you could go in, anyone could go in as long as you had an adult with you. So like a 12A? Yeah, then they reclassified it as a PG, then they reclassified it again as a 15, and now they've reclassified it again as a 12A. They just, they don't know what to do with it. I it, think it's all because of the, you know, the... the um, uh, the, the pilot, uh, he starts making like, really inappropriate comments to that boy. <laughs> yes. You know what? And I think, think the BBFC are sat there going, oh, fuck. <laughs> I think you're try- you're thinking about it, that scene and that character trait would not fly now, would it? That's no. Well, that's why they keep changing their mind. They, they Genuinely, the BBFC are in a real muddle with this film. They don't know quite what to do with it. I'm pretty sure I've seen edits on the bit on the BBC when they've shown it years ago and I think the only edit they've ever made um, I think they've kept I, I'm pretty sure there's, is the frontal nudity in this one or is it number two I can't I can't remember I only saw it yesterday morning <laughs> yeah I can't I can't remember I, I know I think one of the one of the because I think it's either two where you actually see there's like a split shot of like a topless woman in one of it that that stayed in the BBC edits it might be this or another one. I'm but, not sure. but the creepy pedo jokes out. Yeah, yeah, that that was edited out, and this was like, God, at least ten years ago, I think. So it, it's it's very strange, very strange. But I could probably see why that's probably the sticking point, not and not and not the giving a inflatable autopilot <laughs> a blowjob for one reason. I mean, looking at the cast, I mean, these aren't big names, are they? This is a strange one. That could, these guys haven't... I mean, apart from Leslie Nielsen and Lloyd Bridges, those are the only two, for me anyway, really sort of recognisable people in it. I mean, Ted and Elaine, the leads, I don't know them from anything else, do you? 
No, no, I don't really know much. I'm just looking at the cast as well. I didn't realise Jonathan Banks was in it. I think Mike from Breaking Bad was in Airplane. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that. I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think he's like was a massive basketball game. I think the equivalent would be, I don't know, uh, David Beckham turning up in... I oh, is that, is that the, uh, the other, the, other um, the co-pilot, the black guy? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they've got that very, that very good. Well, it's probably really good if you knew who he was. That meta joke about the kid going, "No, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar." He goes, "No, no, no, I'm an, I'm a pilot." That's some really early, like what I call stunt casting, where you get you know a sports star or a rapper to appear in your comedy film. I think I think that was the precursor for O.J. Simpson in the Naked Good films. To be honest, could have been, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and now that whole thing, I, well, we we covered this on Failed Critics not long ago. It's just it's rampant. I listed. Yeah. I had like the top thirty rapper cameos in comedies. That's a list. <laughs> the top thirty implying that there are more than thirty. But the, uh, you've got to say, I mean, although it's funny, uh, it's it's fast paced, it's slapstick. They ain't great actors in this. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't picking up any awards for their performances. That's for sure. Do you know you mentioned that um, that basketball player then, Matt? Oh no, I was reading the wrong thing. I thought it said on Wikipedia that the basketball player repri- reprised his role as an airplane pilot in Sharknado 2, but it wasn't. It was Robert Hayes, and I was thinking, oh, right. what? That's a bit... Come on, Sharknado. But, I, um, I still won't watch. I think the trick... One of the things I think the trick as well with the film was that I think the majority... Well, most of the cast were all dramatic actors. I mean, I think this was like Leslie Nielsen's first real spoof film, and Look what, and he reinvitalised his career. But uh, I think you need straight guys in this, though, don't you? If you you need that's what makes it funny yeah. when you've got proper character actors in there, people who are not normally known for comedy. You know, saying inappropriate stuff and being silly. Yeah, that in itself generates laughs. I think that that helps with the whole style of film as well. Um, I can remember. I don't know if you, have you ever watched a Touch of Cloth. By Charlie Brooker. Oh, I love that. It was amazing. And the, yeah, and it's very similar, but that's done really well. I remember seeing. I think it was. Um, I think it was the directors saying to James ne- James Nesbitt and um, Susan Sarandon, "Is that you? Ha- you have to sell every every single line of dialogue as if you're trying to win a BAFTA for best drama, and you have to have that serious, de- almost like you you're trying to seriously convey this as dramatic." As, as a drama. The second series of that. I, I remember. I'm sure I saw the first one. It was like a, a DVD feature length version. Well, of Touch of Cloth, I think it was. It was a. It was three. There was three two part specials. So okay. Yeah. So they had like they had the the one which was spoofing your your normal police dramas. Then you had your second one, which was under which is all the undercover gritty. BBC modern dramas, and then the third one, I can't remember what it was spoofing, but Karen Gillan was in it. So. I don't think I've seen the third one then, because I remember that I remember I'm sure that they must have re-edited them for DVD because I bought it at a boot fair for like a quid, <laughs> and I and it was definitely like a 90 minute feature they made it into. Yeah, but so, but yeah, it was definitely but that kind that dramatic that I mean to perform it as a comedy, no, perform it sorry, perform it as a drama. Um, that I think that was very much influenced by how they did Airplane. They've just done it. There's another. There's a brand new series out in in the states, and uh, which I can't remember the name of it, but it stars Rashida Jones, um, Angie Tribeca. 
There you go. Now, do you like that? Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I I really enjoyed it. Um, th- uh, okay. There's issues with. I think there's issues with that style on a series anyway, because I think after a certain amount of episodes, it does run out of steam, and there's quite a few. I think the, the original Naked Gun series, by the sixth episode, does start to strain even after six episodes, and there's a an Australian uh, show called Danger Five. Uh, the first series was like spoofing Thunderbirds and putting live action in 1960 spy shows, and that slowed down quite a lot as well um, by the six series. But then the set, the second series, they pretty much rebooted it and set it as a 1980s Christmas film for six episodes, which added some life into it. I think the point is it's really hard to get this kind of comedy right. Yes, exactly. And, um, and not make it cheap. Yeah, because I think it's it's barely under 90 minutes. Isn't it? And it's very fast. It's very quick, and you can't keep it going for as long for as long as it can. Usually, you can't keep that hit rate as strong as you can. Well, which is a- exactly. I mean, you'd normally you'd, you know there might be some exposition, some dialogue, a bit of drama, but there's not. It's just gag, 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 and it's just bum, 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 bum. And, and if this was a two and a half hour film, you know, just it would be too much. Exactly. <laughs> it's probably I think why it doesn't outstay its welcome. I think it's why quite a lot of longer comedy films aren't as probably highly regarded as perhaps shorter ones as particularly in this this genre i think quite a lot of the especially the zucker films the zucker spoof films and i think quite a few of the mel brooks ones they barely go underneath 90 minutes they are very quick they're very in out before and with varying degrees of success but they're very short it's very short paced and it's it knows what it's doing very quick, very quick, snappy stuff. We'd like to thank Andy Mosley for his nomination of Airplane Tonight. So, moving on to a discussion about 1980s comedy as a whole, I'm just looking at the Internet Movies Database top like 100 comedies of the 80s and out of the top 30 I've seen three so I like I've seen Ghostbusters obviously and um, Back to the Future but the rest and Airplane I have never ever seen any of these and Mr. Mom's on there Airplane 2 Easy Money Stripes Cannibal Run 9 to 5 Caddyshack I've never seen any of these films whatsoever Crikey! What what are your favourite? I mean, if you're not, I'm guessing you aren't, won't have seen that many. Then my favourite 80s comedy is Ghostbusters. My favourite comedy ever is Ghostbusters. My favourite film ever is Ghostbusters. So that's the only one I've seen. Matt, go on. What are yours? I'm really curious. Um, well, I'm, I'm just quickly going through, quickly going through this like best of hundred comedies, and there's a there's a few. I think a lot of mine are. 90s based, but quickly going through the list, I mean, Airplane is one of them. Uh, Airplane 2, which I didn't think I liked as much as the first one. Ghostbusters, again. Um, I completely forgot until I was doing research that you can technically class most of the Police Academy films, and I've got a massive, massive soft spot for the Police Academy films. All of them. I I really like those. Really like those. Um, Back to the Future is classed as a comedy film as well. Mm, which... it, that's a bit. I mean, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is on there at number 52, but I I saw that last year and there was only one bit I laughed at. So maybe I've just... Maybe I'm not, you know... Oof, I've had a few, few people who've picked that. I got I put out a thing on Twitter earlier and I got 
shit ton of responses, um, and uh, that ca- that came up a few times. Yeah, well, I mean, I've gone, I've gone for, I've done a little list. It's not huge. I've gone for Revenge of the Nerds, Porkies, um, Weird Science, A Christmas Story, which is I think it's really popular here. It's, everyone watches it in the states at Christmas. It's it's, it's, it's an acquired taste. Bachelor Party, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, um, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Oh God, I forgot that was the eighties. I love that film. Yeah, um, Earth Girls Are Easy, and oh, you're going to hate me for this, but my favourite eighties comedies is um, is Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen. I've... Come on, who doesn't like watching two idiots drag a dead guy around and making everyone else believe he's the still alive? The only way I know of that film is because of I just watched How I Met Your Mother, like the entire series, and they keep talking about doing mm-hmm. a weekend at Bernie's in the last season. Like oh, the, it's so good. I mean, good. I'm like I'm to the sixties now. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I adore uh, Major no. League's uh, Ghostbusters Two, which is not as bad as everyone tries to make out it is. It's really not. I I, I remember when I someone. I suddenly realised that people didn't like Ghostbusters 2, and I was I was generally confused. I didn't realise that until I, about 18 months ago. <laughs> I was like... I didn't realise there was thick people No, still. no. The Three Amigos as well. I love The Three Amigos. Uh, I have not thought about that film in forever. But oh, apparently Big. But I've I, never seen big, it. I, you know, no, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of films now. Looking at this, I'm thinking, I haven't seen it. Who framed Roger Rabbit? How many on that list are British? Yeah. There ain't no. many, are there? No, so it's... It is a real strange one, and Twin. somebody... Twins. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Twins. Twins, apparently, is classed as a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. I quite it's that. Ki- it's kindergarten cop 90s or 80s? 90s. Mm, 90s, ah, yeah. okay. Two people earlier mentioned the only British film that anyone mentioned was um, a thing called Party Party. I'd never heard of it. Have you nope. heard of it? No, I saw you mention it on Twitter and I gave it a quick look and was shocked to find that <sighs> Nick Berry and Caroline Quentin had careers in the early 80s. <laughs> yep, yeah. it was um, it was a real, real strange... It was almost uh, like an episode of EastEnders. In fact, Billy Mitchell and... Um, I, can't, I don't really watch it very often. Another EastEnders um, lady was in it. It was just... Uh, you, I think it has to be seen to be believed. It was so just sexist and wrong and, and I'm not that guy I normally stuff like that just passes me by and I'll laugh but you know you've got Caroline Quentin and her friend and the policeman's talking to them and while he's talking to them he's lifting their skirts up with his truncheon and I'm like what is going on I mean it, although it's of the time it yeah if you it's it's free to watch on YouTube if you want to see why the probably weren't many British comedies made in the 80s. I think Party Party may well be a clue. But I, I'm, go, I'm going to go back and refer to something that, um, this in the very early days of Pick a Flick, that on a podcast I was on, where Tony and our friend Matt Dawson was talking about the British sex comedies from the late 70s. Now, I'm just wondering whether, because of the fallout from that and, the lack, and when they slowly died off, whether the British film industry didn't really capitalise on didn't really know where to go for comedy in the 80s because I, I, I'm struggling you know, to think of any 80s comedy that could be a, that's a really good point because obviously after the carry-ons you then had all these confessions of a plumber confessions of a window cleaner and they were all really bawdy um, sex comedies and yeah in the 80s there weren't much apart from Party Party um, I'm trying to with Nail and I the John Cleese thing what's that 
remember what Wonder. it's called. There you go. Is that what was that? Was that pretty? Yeah, was it was the 80s. That was British, wasn't it? A fish called Wonder. Pretty sure it was. But anyway. Yes, British. Yeah. So the point being, though, there are, there ain't many British comedies made in the eighties, but coming out of the states, it's just non-stop. It was relentless. And I loved it because I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 1970, you know, from watching when you were a kid. You know, that's probably the genre you gravitate to towards most, uh, especially as you, you know, become a teenager. And for me, it was, it was it was a golden age. I absolutely fucking loved it. You know, queuing up outside the cinema to go and see Weird Science and then going back the next day to queue up again. I just I thought this this is incredible. Because I remember I, I remember, I think... On the 90s comedy one that I did, we don't know, talking about when growing up with films, I think I grew up with a lot more 90s comedy, because I think I, I've seen a lot more comedies based in the mm. 90s. Um, and I, I don't know whether you're the same, Emma. A lot of your, whether quite a few favourite films are 90s yeah, based. Yeah, no, or... uh, definitely, like I said before, like Ace Ventura 2 is one of my favourite comedies of all time. It was on the other week, and I was still laughing my head off. I had never seen it before. Like Dumb and Dumber, um, Clerks and Mall Rats. Talking about sorry, talking about subjective subjective comedy in the nineties. One, a lot of people were doing writing votes for Clerks, and I I remember saying that I watched fifteen minutes of it and couldn't watch anymore. <laughs> I think the first fifteen minutes are quite slow though, but I I watched that when I got into college and when I got all pretentious about art, and I was like, hmm, I'm going to watch Clerks. <laughs> um, I'm going to see Austin Powers. I can't remember if it was Austin Powers 2 in the pictures, but I don't know if that was really late 90s, like 99. That yeah. was 99, because I remember going to see it. I remember going to see it. that. But I think, aside from Ghostbusters, a lot of my favourite comedies are 90s, based like The Wedding Singer. I, 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 mean, I know it's a romantic comedy, but I really, really love Wedding Singer. And I think I could watch Dumb and Dumber with my dad every day of the week. But... I think it, it does, like, comedy, I think comedy and horror are the two, like, most subjective genres because not everyone's scared of the same thing and not everybody laughs at the same thing. Like, my mum, because it's Easter Sunday next week, me and my dad will inevitably watch The Life of Brian, and my mum has never, ever, ever laughed at that film, not even once, not even a little snort, you know, ever. And I'm, I don't I don't understand that because I think it's funny, but obviously... It's it's just, it's so humor such a strange thing, isn't it? When you think about it, like how something makes you laugh, but not someone you're biologically related to doesn't find it funny at all. It's it's so it's so weird. But my dad is quite he likes like Laurel and Hardy, and like he introduced me to like Monty Python and things like that. So I think that's why we like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Ace Ventura and the mask and that kind of thing, because it's very slapstick-esque. Do you want to hear, I've got a lot of um, tweets here. Do you want to hear what people have nominated as their favourite 80s comedies? We've got Mark, CPFC fan 70. He's gone for Spinal Tap and Trading Places. We haven't mentioned those tonight for you yet. Brooker has gone for the Rob Lowe sex tape. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. Steve off the Foul Critics has gone for Ghostbusters. Ben, uh, Blue No 79, he's gone for Crocodile Dundee. Steve Fisher has gone for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, Stripes. Caddyshack. Um, none of those have been mentioned yet. Uh, Richard James Purdom, he's gone for The Naked Gun. Good, good choice. Uh, Andy Alcock, Calamari Union. I don't even know what that I've is. I've never heard of it. Big miss here from all of us, The Princess Bride. I've never seen it. Ooh, it's it's an acquired taste, but the people who love it, yeah. they love it. It's almost, is, you know, they go along to screenings and they know all the all the lines. Is that, that that's the Indigo Montoya yeah. one, isn't it? Andre the Giant's yeah. in there. I know that. Quickly finished. So he's gone for Beetlejuice, Big Trouble in Little China, Little Shop of Horrors, Gremlins, Goonies. I forgot about Gremlins. Um, no. I don't think I've seen uh, that. I've seen Gremlins. the sequel. You've not seen Gremlins? No. No. I've seen Gremlins on. too. Oh, blimey. <laughs> They've reclassified it. Again, yeah, that was I can 50, see why. Because, because they microwave yeah. the Gremlin. And then last Christmas they reclassified it and they showed it again in cinemas. And I, I took my, she would have been 11, my daughter, to see it at the cinema. And she absolutely loved it. She had a riot. Um, let me finish these off. So Matt Orv has gone for Party Party, which we mentioned. Um, Sussex Football. <laughs> I love it when like, accounts that are not related to films tweet in. Um, he's gone for Eddie Murphy. He coming to America and trading places. And also see no evil, hear no evil. Um, and I think oh we've got uh, film producer Jonathan Sothcott. Um he's gone for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Andy Hobbs has gone for Brewster's Millions Trading Places Coming to America Caddyshack Planes Trains and Automobiles there you go Blimey, the that's only a lot. scene I find funny in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is when Steve Martin's sitting at the table and the, the butler goes can I take your trident sir and he just goes please that's the that I was dying laughing at that. <laughs> uh, on Facebook, Andrew Brooker said, if it counts, Lethal Weapon, Ghostbusters, Breakfast Club, Airplane, Beetlejuice and Bill and Ted. Owen Hughes went for Whitmail and I, Princess Bride, Ghostbusters and Fright Night. And our dark overlord, Tony Black, said Naked Gun. We must have covered or mentioned pretty much Yeah, and that all was, of I think that was funny in the 80s. It's just, I can't believe how much I haven't seen 
like Goonies was on that list. Matt, if you had to pick yeah. one, sorry, Emma, I was going to say, Matt, if you had to pick one 80s comedy for Emma to watch, what would it be? That she hasn't watched. Yeah. That well, I've she's watched. only seen three, so. <laughs> See no evil, hear no evil. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go, you've got to watch Weekend at Bernie's. We, uh, quite a few me, me and my friends, um, and our Dark Harbour, Lutani Black included, decided to try and start, have a Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder Light, where we were trying to watch, I think there was about four films that was in, and we only watched two of them. I think we wa- we started with See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and then we went to watch Stir Crazy, and I think half of us fell asleep watching Stir Crazy. I think we peaked too early. Um, yeah, if you want to watch it go around his house, he'll, he'll hypno you. <laughs> Midway through the second film, you'll wake up in the morning. <laughs> M- most of the time I visit town, that never <laughs> happens anyway, so... <laughs> oh. I don't remember oh, sorry, it, but that's what it tells me. No, you watched all four. <laughs> no, we didn't. We only, we only watched two. Then you kebab. <laughs> but no, oh, no the, I think the point is that we, we peak too early. We see no evil, hear no evil. Because that film, that still makes me laugh. That film still makes me laugh. And it is quite, quite a few jokes. It doesn't, it, do, it kind of dates, but it also doesn't. And Kevin Space is in it as the, the, the typical lackey, which is just so surreal nowadays. <laughs> I can't promise I'll watch either of those suggestions, but I do promise I will watch Ghostbusters about 400 times in the next 12 months. The Breakfast Club is a 1985 American coming-of-age comedy-drama film written, produced, and directed by John Hughes and starring Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. The storyline follows five teenagers, each a member of a different high school clique, who spend a Saturday in detention together and come to realise they are all more than their respective stereotypes. What's in there? Guess. Where's your lunch? You're wearing it. You're nauseating. What's that? Sushi. Sushi? <laughs> Rice, uh, raw fish, and seaweed. You won't accept the guy's tongue in your mouth and you're gonna eat that? Can I eat? I don't know. Give it a try. What's your problem? 
What are we having? Uh, it's just your standard regular lunch, I guess. Milk? Soup. Oh, that's apple juice. I can read. P, B, and J with the crusts cut off. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Uh, no, Mr. Johnson. Huh. It's critics consider it one of the greatest high school films of all time, as well as one of Hughes' most memorable and recognizable works. The media refers to the film's five main characters as members of a group called the Brat Pack. I don't see how this is comedy. I I know the part of these kind of like Sixteen Candles and St. Elmo's Fire and Fast Times at Richmond High and all that type of film kind of thing, but I didn't feel any sort of like sympathy or anything to any of the characters. I kind of got the feeling that when Monday morning comes, they're all just going to go back to exactly how the way they were at the beginning of the detention because teenagers are fickle, you know, at the end of the day. I, I don't, I kind of don't get the appeal of the Breakfast Club, but that once again could be because I didn't see it until I was in my 20s. It wasn't something I watched when I was younger or anything, so. I don't know. I kind of don't get it. Do you want me to gush over this? I, I was 15 when I saw this and it, it I loved it. It spoke to me as a 15-year-old. I, I thought they were all amazing. I, I loved everyone in it. I just couldn't be. I just thought it just completely blew me away. Soundtrack on rotation. That, that song was just like, you know, went out and bought the 12-inch straight away. I just loved it. I absolutely fucking loved this film so much when I was a kid. I can see how now, I mean, in, in looking back, it's you know might not be considered a, a classic, but at the time, this was the fucking dog's bollocks, and those people in the in the Brat Pack, um, and not just the, the you know the guys in this film, the rest of them, the, the other three was Andrew McCarthy, Rob Lowe, and Demi Moore made up that group, and they were superstars to us when I was growing up for people my age back you know when we were sort of 15 16 17 18 in a way that I don't think is quite happens now I know you know that my son who's 15 now probably has people he quite likes in films but not in this way because you know, there, was, there was no internet back here you got to remember and and seeing these guys on screen was just I don't know it just, it really kind of took over my life. I I used to have my um, hair like Andrew McCarthy and wear the same coat as him and stuff. It was like <laughs> real, this was, a, they were a big deal, a massive big deal. If you were into films and you were a teenager in the 80s, you you know, these guys were, were the bollocks. I'm assuming Molly Ringwald was like, from what I gathered, she was like the teenage star. She was like the biggest teenager famous teenager in there she was i mean even in her i think on her twitter bio i don't know if she still has it but she says like you know i i was your high school crush in the 80s and yeah she pretty much was although to be fair i preferred ali sheedy slightly kooky but yeah now i I could probably see that she's very good looking well yeah she was very good looking in there but they weren't they weren't that good looking though were they they were almost you know to, to to your guy in the street almost attainable because they weren't if you look at you know what would be considered you know sort of a bombshell now they they weren't were they not really well no but i could i could probably see the appeal 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, so. That's the same reason I fancy Michael Fassbender because I think on the right night, I might, might, might have a chance. Might have a chance. I haven't got a chance with like, you know, Chris Evans. No, no way in hell. But Michael Fassbender, maybe, maybe. That hope keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, do you, um, we'll go back to Breakfast Club in a sec, but the, the director, John Hughes, who sadly no longer with us, his body of work is a real strange beast. Do you know how many films he directed without looking? 7,000. He did eight films, and seven of them were within the space of five years. Bloody hell. He did 16 Candles in 84, Breakfast Club in 85, With Science in 85, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in 86, Planes, Trains and Automobiles in 87. Oh, God, we forgot Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Sorry. She's having a baby. Yeah, we did. She's having a baby in 88 and Uncle Buck in 89. He did one more in the 90s and that was that. All the rest are just writing credits. The, the fact that he did effectively eight good films in five years and then never directed another film afterwards is absolutely bonkers. He just disappeared off the grid. And and I saw a documentary about him where they, they tried to track him down. He refused point blank any interviews. He wouldn't have anything to do with anyone. And then he died. Real strange one. Wow. But he did keep on writing and he wrote some absolute turt as well. <laughs> okay, he actually wrote Homeland 3. Wow. Uh... So he wrote 1 and 2, which are one of my favourite films growing up. And then he wrote 3. But that's just... I wonder if he lost a bet. <laughs> he must have lost a bet. I don't know. Was like, he was making really good films, and then I, I'll always back. You know, nobody will know because he's dead now, and nobody will ever know. But uh, if we can go back to, if we go back to, yeah, yeah. for a second, because um, so I watched it for the first time. I watched half of it yesterday, and the second half yes today uh, for the first time. And for well, I completely agree that it's not a comedy. I there's a few bits that make you smile which i thought was quite kind of not funny but just like fun to look at but it was more if it, it felt like it was like a stage play like a dramatic stage character study stage play of these five people um who like end up with with some quite revealing soliloquies meant meant to challenge an actor rather than being a feel-good comedy at all um and I, I I find that quite interesting. I mean, I, I can. It's probably the the impact of it's probably passed me by because of I'm no longer I'm no longer a teenager. I'm old <laughs> now. And uh, but in terms of like character study, I find it quite interesting. As as I was as I was watching it, I I didn't like John Bender to begin with, um, and I probably still don't. Uh, but he's <laughs> a bit of bender. I mean, every time they say it, I, I start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a kid. But then again, then again, I think watching this film, I think I understand Matt Groening a lot more. I mean, at one point someone says "Eat my shorts." I think it was Bender that says "Eat my shorts." The character named Bender. Um, there's even Judd Nelson has all the best lines in this film. All the best lines. Admit it. I think I think mainly he's he's the character who needs to progress the plot along. That's probably why he's a bit of an arse most of the time. Um, is that he's the he's the only one who's probably confident enough to just keep speaking to people, and how he speaks to people's a bit makes him a bit like uh, I don't know a dick. <laughs> but um, but he is. I mean, do you know how old he is in the film? 
27. In, in real life. You've not, you've nearly 26. So he's, he's all the weights on his shoulders because he's the older, more experienced actor. Some of the, a couple of the others are only 17. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Emilio Estevez is 23 in it. Ali Sheedy's 23. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> not, Michael J. Michael John Hunt looks like he's about what? <laughs> 12. Anthony Michael Hall, you mean? Yeah, he, he's 17 in the film. Yeah, but he, he, but he looks he looks a lot younger than everyone else. I think it's but he, the character's supposed to be. I think isn't he? But I saw him yesterday actually. On uh, I was watching the football on US TV, and he was in an advert. Um, where they show clips of all of his films um, for an unlimited streaming with AT and T, and he's, he's there. He's in the sh- in the like the bloody mobile phone shop, trying to trying to flog you a, a phone. I feel bad because he turned down. It, John Hughes wrote two more roles for him. Uh, he was in pretty much all of his films, bar two, and he turned down playing Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he turned down the Ducky in Pretty in Pink, which. I'm thinking, in hindsight, he might be regretting that now. <laughs> now he's flogging broadband. When you said you saw him, I thought you meant... Oh, no, 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 I saw, him, I saw him on the telly. <laughs> flogging like, broadband. You were to... I was just saying, what, that was random. Really? No, I remember, <laughs> I, I, my foot, Anthony Michael Hall, getting his name right this time. Yes, Tony, I've got another name wrong. But no, um, Anthony Michael Hall, I I loved the TV show Dead Zone, where he pretty much played the yeah. Christopher Walken character from the film. Um, and that was my first real, first time I noticed Anthony Michael Hall. But um, yeah, it, seeing him that and then seeing him in this, it's quite a shock. But uh, yeah, it's quite... He was amazing. I, I thought he was awesome. Because it's a real, it's a great setup. You've got the rebel, the nerd... The princess, the the weirdo, and 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 the jock. But do you think <laughs> what I notice when I'm watching it? You know, you've got Alison, who's the weirdo or the basket case. They seem to. It's this, it's what happened. It's the introduction with Bender as well, where they seem to be quite over exaggerating their quirkiness. I mean, um, Bender walking through just like knocking everything off desks. I think you have to. I mean, it's five guys in a library. Mm. You, you, you've got to... You, you, <laughs> that's all it is. But then like, you've got and, her pouring sugar onto sandwiches and it's... I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a bit... But then again, teenagers are like that. Teenagers are... They try too hard to be so different because of all the emo angst. They're just teenagers that are horrible. I love that. Horrible. I love that lunch scene where... Emilio Estevez gets his lunch bag and he keeps pulling out sandwich after sandwich after sandwich. And then Ali Sheedy goes, she pulls all the stuff out of her sandwich, fill, fills the covers the bread in sugar and then puts cereal in it. And then um, Molly Ringwald's eating sushi. The whole thing is, I just thought it was brilliant. Well, you, you can't, you can't fault you for not making them unique, which is one of the better things about the film. I think the characters are all unique and they do branch out and become three dimensional. As they go on, because I think the point is, is that they reveal like a key fact about themselves to perfect strangers, and how they know, how they get to know each other through a certain amount of time. You can't fault that. I think that was really well done, and I'm, I'm, it, I think it would make a really good stage play. I mean, but it, they probably had to do Possibly. some recasting if they ever did. Try to... Well, there's a good, there's a great dance scene. Yes, that would be a big showstopper. Exactly, yeah. that would be a great if, on stage. That would be a big, that would be a great showstopper. That would, wouldn't it? Yeah, but. Just before the yeah. interval. Um, here's, a, here's a question for you that I was thinking of as I was watching it. I'm surprised they haven't tried to remake it. To oh, 
it just doesn't need to be remade because but, there's nothing there aren't really any cultural references in it apart all you could do is put newer prettier people in it running this same dialogue but then would would it work if you had five people with different backgrounds i mean one thing i noticed because this day and age the this day and age all five they're all five white five white um teenagers um and nowadays you're not going to that will that would be criticized in terms of this yeah. year well i can tell you now that emilia westervez's character would be gay because mm. he wrestles other dudes <laughs> in tights <laughs> it's a no-brainer but now I, I, I was just i was thinking about if if they was to make it they'll probably have or at least someone who's a clo- either closeted I, I don't know the idea i suddenly had was a closeted heterosexual somebody but um so basically someone like kurt hummel from glee who his dark secret is that he's got um heterosexual feelings which is like mainly because I think at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, that these five characters were probably against, eventually became against their stereotypes, which is the aim of the film. And I think from 1985, those tropes of, like, the the princess, the basket case, the nerd, those were still fairly new in terms of teen comedy. Am I right? Or? They were, yeah. Like, you, you're absolutely right. And, they, and a lot of the comedies, especially the John Hughes films, they played massively in that arena and to be fair this kind of comedy was you either had this or something we didn't really touch upon when we did the 80s comedies was because there was no internet sex comedies when i was a kid were one of the only ways you would see tits (laughs) or in the case of revenge of the nerds the first time i ever saw a fanny on screen Hey, it is what it is. There was no internet, I'm telling you. <laughs> Matt's breaking out into a sweat now, thinking, no internet, bloody hell. God's sake, how do people go? Um, no, but, what, but my point being is that you've got... You had to find a magazine in the park, Matt. But That reminds me of um, a scene in Space where Tim asks Daisy to buy porn, and she goes, Tim, you should just get it from the railway like everyone else. And he goes, no, I'm an adult, I'm supposed to leave it there. <laughs> but my my original point is like cause you've got those five tropes, but you could probably yep. up, you could probably update those now that scenario to like five yeah, different, absolutely. five different characters, With five new ones, yeah. But then quite a lot and try and do further spins on something that's already been spun further and further because you, you'll definitely have like you'll definitely have um, quite a few different demographics represented, um, but. And then trying to find new ways, so, which is why I think one of the new ones will be to probably to get a gay student who who is openly gay, but then suddenly might have heterosexual feelings or something, or perhaps the athlete is female and not uh, what female and I don't know what what's in what I found interesting was the sport they chose was wrestling and not football or basketball, but that might be due to my years of watching teenage American dramas where football and basketball were like the main ones. Um, I think wrestling meant that it was easier for them to, for, for that confrontation where he, where he threatens Judd Nelson all the time to be more believable. Because hmm. you know he, he fights, that's his sport. Okay. But I think it's, it's quite interesting that, interesting that it wasn't football or at least uh, basketball, but then that that's 
that's me having like that's me following Friday Night Lights for years, um, where like football's the sport. But uh, but yeah, like but the uh, where you've got different, where you've got like a modern version where you've got new characters, where you've got new tropes that are spun in completely different directions again, which is probably the only way they probably would modernize it for an audience. Um, I, I hope they don't. I really, really don't. No. It's, it's just not necessary. But I, th- I think the 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 situation and the plot I've seen get done in like teen based dramas as well. I think um, I think Veronica Mars did it, where they had two characters have to work together. Um, it wasn't detention, but the idea of putting these two mismatched, or two or more mismatched characters. Um, that, that's like an episode of that's an episode of teen drama that happened ages ago. But I think it kind of the genesis of it was here, and it's quite nice to if, see that. If they remade this, you'd have they just split the screen into five panels, and all you'd see is five different social media streams. Appearing, <laughs> that's all they would be doing is tweeting from the library. Five Instagram accounts. There you go. Did you did you laugh at all? I know this is supposed to be was it was it Maya Brooker who. Um, recommended this yeah as a comedy but did, did anyone laugh no no I, I i smiled and probably chuckled once or twice but it, i didn't laugh out loud um, i bet you when i've got a few of judd nelson's best lines here when he talks about um molly ringwell getting a hot beef injection Ew. i did laugh that's great and then when he asked her if she wanted to see a picture of a man with elephantitis of the nuts and how do you think he rides a bicycle <laughs> And then he asks her, it's, it's, basically all these are just him picking on Molly Ringwald, and he asks her, are you medically frigid? <laughs> medically <laughs> it frigid. Me every time. Well, technically, doesn't he nearly, <laughs> doesn't nearly like, assault her at one point, but just when he's under the desk? I mean, that was well, a bit... Well, I googled earlier, did Molly Ringwald use a stunt crotch? <laughs> oh my god. Because I was curious, I thought that's not her. That can't, well, that's not her bits and pieces. And the answer is yes. She's been on records and said I would never wear panties like that. Um, it was a stunt crotch. <laughs> well, I'm glad I live in a world where such a thing as a stunt crotch exists. That's going <laughs> to be a... time to be alive. That's... Imagine your claim to fame being I was Molly Ringwald stunt, stunt crotch. Oh my god! There's an episode title. Oh, Tony, totally, definitely. That's what you should just call this episode. Molly Ringwald Stunt Someone should change their Twitter name to that, like, right now. Because if you don't, I will. Back. Uh, I might have to change her. my Twitter name to that right now. She's a jazz singer now. She was in London recently doing gigs. I used to get Jennifer Beals and Jennifer Gray mixed up. That's because I've got the first, same first name now. So. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank Maya Brooker for her nomination of The Breakfast Club tonight. And... For the fact that Paul got to say Murray, Molly Ringwald still crash. <laughs> Thank you, Maya. That's me, night. So that's everything for this evening. Um, I'd like to thank Paul and Matt for joining me tonight and give them a chance to whore themselves out for you. Hi, yes, you can find me on the interwebs, as probably everyone else. Um, I have a website that's more TV-focused, which is The Bottle Episode, which you can find on www.bottleepisode.co.uk. And I'm on Twitter on at the bottle app. And I'm also got a personal account, which is a bit private, but if you're really nice, I might allow you to view it at 
X and Matt. And you can where you can find just head over to Foul Critics where I occasionally guest on that show and I also have a podcast called Underground Nights with me and James Mullinger where we talk about cult movies and interview directors. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at Pick a Flick Pod. Pick a flick. Pick a flick. Pick a flick pod. Oh my god. I'm not gonna swear. I'm not gonna swear because I've gone this long and I'm not gonna swear. And I'm only not gonna I'm not going to swear because Matt Latham made a point of me swearing before on Facebook. You and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna swear. You can follow us on Twitter at pick lick a dick. Pick a flick pod. Can I can I suddenly pimp out that I still want people on Twitter to just to keep mentioning their own spin offs of this like liftership and uh, <laughs> Liftership. Or now or Rock a Crotch when we find the stunt stunt crotches of other famous I, people. We need to find out who was Molly Ringwald's stunt crotch. If anyone knows <laughs> Send, send us a letter or whatever, you, or one of the internet things. Sorry, Emma. Are you wrapping up, Emma? I was trying to, but, you know, we're available on iTunes. We can subscribe, please review, Stitcher, Acast, all that crap. You can follow me on Twitter at Crushinator2, but I'm extremely boring. Or you can follow me on my other account at Dead Meat Horror. And episode two of Dead Meat with Chris Haig, talking about the final girl theory, will be up whenever. Got all the way through that belt swearing. Yes! Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye! On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.